0: You're listening to Piggoted, the podcast that brings comedians and experts together. Subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now also available to watch on YouTube. For bonus episodes, early access, and a ton of other great features, check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Piggoted. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Pigoted Podcast. Joining us today is comedian Phil Chapman. Hello. (laughs) And also
1: we have expert Michael Marshall. Hello. Are you are you doctor or just I'm not doctor. I'm not doctor. I got a a BA and that's where I stopped. Really? What did you get your BA in? uh, English literature.
0: I got oh no I got my
1: <laughs> in a different thing. Okay. I got my
0: uh I got my uh degree in English language and linguistics.
1: Ah uh, okay. Yeah. I mean mine, I think mine was language and literature but I just say literature.
0: I fuck season. the literature off, do you know? Right. So I mean I like reading, but the thing is is I don't like reading what I've been told okay. to read. So the mi- so if 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 I discover a book on my own, I'm like love it, I can get involved in it, but the minute somebody says you have to read this. I just don't like it. Gotcha. It's like with Game of Thrones. Do you remember when people were like, "You have to watch mm-hmm. Game. Of- you have to watch Game of Thrones. If you haven't watched Game of Thrones, you have to watch Game of Thrones." I watched it, and I knew in my head, I'm gonna fucking hate this.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I did. Did you Did you watch it all the way through? Uh,
0: no. I, so, so I tell you what happened with Game of Thrones. So I sort of said, um, uh, I, I, I sort of put it off for ages because I don't like fantasy sci-fi stuff. Mm. It just doesn't do it for me. And people were like, oh, no. Oh, no, Game of Thrones is not fantasy sci-fi. Listen, you might think that it is because it is set in a mythical world with dragons, but believe you me, it is not. It is about politics. It is about human relations. You know, it's a very human sort of thing is Game of Thrones. You will love it, plus there's pornography. And I was like, (laughs) okay. Uh, And then I watched it. And the dragons came in and I was a little bit like, okay, that's about as much fantasy as I can cope with. And then a woman gave birth to a shadow monster. Yeah. And I literally switched it off then and there. I went, nope, that was the end of it for me because that's too much fantasy.
2: Yeah, it's a bit far-fetched like. I mean, it was shit.
0: Did
1: you follow it through? I did, yeah, and it was mm. shit. Yeah, I watched the first series, hated it, and then watched all the rest of the series. So that when I told people I hated it because it's terrible, they couldn't be like, "Oh, you just have to stick with it and watch it. The more you watch of it, the better it'll get." It like, no, I'm just going to watch the entire thing so I can tell you definitively it is shit. Yeah, yeah.
0: I hate it when people do that where they go, <laughs> "Oh, listen, you have to sit through the first two series, but after that it's great." And it's like, what? I have to watch eighteen hours of <laughs> shit yeah, yeah, yeah. before it gets good?
2: Yeah, yeah. What sort of selling point is that? Do you know, what the weird thing is, if only. People will like that with comedy because the amount of times you've gone on like two minutes in, people are like this guy's. Oh, <laughs> the, the, the first
0: eighteen hours, yeah, yeah. Phil Chapman does not strike you at all. These bollocks, but yeah, yeah, eighteen hour and one minute, fucking yeah, gold.
2: That's when the, the applause starts. <laughs> Do you know
0: what? I've only ever sat through one program where I've gone, yet yeah, definitely the first season's bollocks, but it's worth watching, and that is Parks and Rec.
1: Uh, okay.
0: So first season of Parks and Rec, I went, I fucking hate this, because it was just like a rip-off of The Office. Yeah, I was like, I'm not feeling this at all. And then it was like, season two, episode one, gr- fantastic. I'm, I'm about midway through season four at the moment, and I'm like, it's brilliant. But everything, even The Wire. I couldn't make it through The Wire.
1: Mm. I couldn't... The Wire is great, but you, you, you've you got to stick with that. That is one you have to stick with, but it's definitely worth it. And it's only about three episodes you've got to really stick with, and it clicks after that.
0: Do you know what it was? Just the first three episodes of that is like the most paint-by-numbers cop thing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're a loose cannon, kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You need to start playing by the rules. Yeah, but the rules never get anything done. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, just... I, I, cop shows...
2: Like any, any cop show. Even Brooklyn
0: Nine-Nine.
2: Well, that's a comedy. I still go class as a cop show. Okay. Comedy, like, like Line of Duty. Do you know when like, the guy, like the first episode, the guy tackles someone and then like the waitress comes out and she's like, I'm going to ring the police. And he's like, I am the police. <laughs> and then she gives him the money back for the, the dinner that he just paid for. And I was like, this is too shit. So, <laughs> no, nah,
0: Do you know what? Never, so not. I've never watched Line of Duty. <laughs> I've never got on board with it. But mm-hmm. what would be great is if they made a cop show that was actually realistic, and what would happen is somebody would tackle like tackle him in the diner or whatever, and all of a sudden, every fucker who was having their meal gets their phone out and yeah, starts yeah, recording yeah. it.
2: <laughs> actually, more realistic would be the guy comes in, robs it, fucks off, and the cops in the arena's dinner is like, "Ah, we'll never catch him." Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: Do you know evidence? Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. sorry, can yeah. do. can't track that guy. Do, do you know what? Resources. This is going off on a tangent, but as is the fucking podcast. So I got um. Uh, I've not had to deal with the police in a long time, right? Uh, But I got cyber-hacked um in about february right you, i know you made it I,
2: sound like you had to do it, like like you've been good for a while
0: yeah 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> they called me an agent. Clean. <laughs> one of the whitest things i think i've ever said in my life i've not had to deal with the police in a long time <laughs> my privilege um uh, but right uh, so i got cyber hacked ironically after a uh, after a tiktok live right So I was doing a a live session on TikTok. I literally ended the live, and my phone started ringing instantly. And I was like, what the fuck? So I went, hello. And they went, hi, Freddie. And I went, hi, who's this? And they went, does the words blah, 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 blah mean anything to you? And what they did is they read out one of my passwords. Right. And I went, "Mm no. no, like like trying to bluff my way out of it. I don't know. what. But the thing is as well is I've not got like, my passwords aren't like fucking password one. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like jumbled up fucking letters and shit. And then he goes, how about blah, 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 blah. And then reads out another password. And I'm like, who is this? Like they were like, they're going to go, it's fucking Tony Davidson. I live at, you know, whatever. (laughs) Uh, But uh, it really freaked me out. And He goes, check your Twitter and I was like, duh, fuck. And so I went to check my Twitter and obviously I'd been locked out of my Twitter.
2: I bet part of you thought you were hoping like you'd gone viral. Part of you was like, i a got loads of retweets. <laughs> 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 um, uh, uh,
0: he goes, check your Twitter. And I was yeah. like, all right. And he, w- w- what they'd done is they tweeted all of my information, but it was like all of my personal information. Mm. So it was obviously like my name, uh my telephone number, where I live, that sort of thing, postcode, like and I was like, "Oh, fuck. And so you start panicking because you don't know how somebody can do something like this, right? And so you, I, I literally ran downstairs and I'm changing all my fucking things. and as I'm changing all my passwords and stuff, I'm getting Google uh, emails through for like password resets and stuff. So I'm changing that. My phone starts fucking going mad for, you know, the two-step verification things. So Uber starts kicking off. Uber Eats start kicking off. My bank starts pinging through and I'm like, fuck my bank. So I get on the phone to my bank and I tell them what's happened and they're like, all right, okay, we will... Make sure that, you know, you, you know you're all right. We, you know, we're going to just double check everything, but you need, to, you need to ring the police. And I was like, shit, the police. And so I rung the police and I told them what had happened. And the police down the other end of the phone said, and I quote word for word, what do you expect us to do about it? Brilliant. <laughs> and I went, uh, like, investigate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they went, well, what is it to investigate? I went, well, he's just rung me off a private number. I said, you just get that number and you'll know who it is. And they went, oh, well, I mean, you know, we can't just go around getting private numbers. And I went, I am certain that you can. (laughs) Like, I'm certain. If it was, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm this important, but if it was a murder, can you imagine if the killer rung and went, I'm going to kill you, and they were like, we've got a great lead. Is it a... Pre- it is a... Pre- Fuck, you know. <laughs> we'll never find him. Try 1471.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See if that works. <laughs> do you remember 1471? <laughs> the caller has withheld their number. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, He pressed 141 first. Yeah. He's blocked yeah, yeah, us, damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect crime. <laughs> um, it's It's
0: a cold case. So, um, uh, they said, what you need to do is you need to speak to the action team. And I was like, well, that sounds that sounds pretty promising they've got the word action in the title I can only uh, I can only infer that this is going to be a team full of actionable
1: people is the rest of the police the inaction team or the (laughs) passive team no we don't don't actually do anything it's just these guys over there who actually do anything you've actually come through to the passing the book team (laughs) (laughs) ironically
0: um, so anyway right I speak to the action team the action team are like right we are the action team like they literally speak like that they were like you need to go onto the action team website action I was like right and so so I'm filling out this form, right? And this form takes about 20 minutes to fill out, right? And they go, right, you filled out the form. And I was like, yeah. And they go, press send. I was like, press. And it was, right, read me the reference number. And I was like, 297-363. Blah blah blah. He's like, right, okay, great, that's in our system. And I go, great, what happens now? And he goes, you will hear from us in 28 days. <laughs> and I went, no, I, I said, I'm not sure if you realise they are trying to hack into my bank right now, And they have tweeted my personal information, which will be enough to clone my identity Mm. and do all sorts of things. They've done that right now. Right. right? And they were like, yeah, 28 days. And I was like, okay. So the, um, uh, basically what happened is I was panicking all fucking afternoon and shit like that. And the private number rung me back and it was this dude. And God help me for saying this but he was quite sound. <laughs> he was quite sound. He was like, ah, oh, uh, you know what I mean? He was like, oh, I'll watch on TikTok sometimes. I was only doing it for a laugh. Uh, and I was like, all oh, right, okay. I was like, is there any chance you can sort of like uh, take my personal? He was like, yeah, all right, okay. You know, I was only dicking about or whatever. And I was like, how did you do that? And he said, oh, um, I'll tell you. So basically there's websites and these aren't like websites on the dark web mm. or anything like that just normal websites that you can pay $6 a month to and it's like a huge registry and you can type in anyone's name or anyone's number or anyone's email address and they will tell you every single leaked password linked to that account. And when Google pings up and goes, oh, there's a security breach and shit like that. It's like you think that oh, it's just some fucker. Ignore it. You that's you. No, you need to worry. You need to change everything. Yeah. yeah. Because once these people have one little mm. uh, thing, like. The, all they needed to do was to get into my Twitter. And once they got into my Twitter, they knew my telephone number because it was I'd put it in Twitter for some fucking reason. It, any, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then they got my email address as well. And from my email address, they could see... Uh, they did this other run where they knew all the websites that um, my email address was linked to. Yeah. So one of the things that they did is they could tell me what colour my mum's front door is. And that's so fucking jarring... But the way that they did it was they had my email. They put it into one of their special websites. They saw that uh, that email address was registered with Moonpig, right? Because do you know what I mean? Every once in a while, I forget about cards because cards are bullshit. And I, um, you know, you send out a Moonpig one last minute. You slap a fucking picture of you and your mum on it, and you go, "Look, I thought about this." And then you send it off, and it's fine. <laughs> Look, I've been planning this for weeks. Wait, <laughs> um, but when you're when when you're logging into Moonpig, you don't go, "Well, I need the most secure password that there's ever been oh, God, in yeah. case in case someone sends out a birthday card <laughs> on my behalf." Do you know what I mean? You don't think about it from a cyber security perspective. But once they were able to hack into my Moonpig, Moonpig saves your addresses. And so it was able to work out quite easily. That's your, That's clearly where his mum and dad yeah, lives. Yeah. Put that into Google, Google Street View, look at the house. Mm. And that's how they work. They're so fucking clever. They take one tiny piece of information and it's like a jigsaw. The minute that you get one little bit, you can get another, another, another. Before you know it, you have a huge picture of someone's life. It was terrifying. Uh, And the uh, action team actually did get back to me. Mm. Uh, They said it was within 28 days. Do you know uh, when they got back to me?
1: Was it exactly the 20th day? Uh,
0: It was not, no. (laughs) It was, uh, let's see, this happened in February, and they got back to me four weeks ago. So, <laughs> so it took them over six months. Jesus. And uh, and they went, hi, we're the action. I was like, this is, it's happened a long time ago now. And they were like, oh.
1: You are no longer the action <laughs> You yeah. can no longer call yourselves that.
0: <laughs> Sorry, we were on holiday.
1: Yeah, we are the eventual team. <laughs> yeah. So, What are we looking at today, Marsh? (laughs) We're going to talk about the media and how the news works, how stuff makes it in the newspapers, and what uh, influences are going on uh, in how stuff ends up, actually, in the news. That
0: sounds fucking amazing. So, how does it work? Let's start off at the beginning.
1: Well, I want to start with um, the the first story that ever got me really interested in this. Okay, I picked up a, a copy of the paper. It was, I think, it was in several different newspapers. The same story, and it was a story about how Jeremy Clarkson has the largest penis in show business. No, that's right. not a- That was a headline. It was in the Sun, the Guardian. It was on a few other things. It appeared on Loose Women. It appeared on the Jeremy uh, Jeremy Kyle show. It appeared on you know, or the Matthew Wright show. It was it was everywhere across the news that day. It was was like it not one a- the stories that day?
0: Was it not it's a typo and they meant to put is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, absolutely. That's, a, that's <laughs> my
1: first thought as well. But unfortunately, no, this was a genuine story in the pit. But when you see a story like that, I thought, well, how how does that story come about? Because, you know, this could be there are some scientists, some anatomical experts who've looked at Jeremy Clarkson and, you know, figured out his, his height and his wingspan.
0: Can I guess... Is it Jeremy Clarkson's PR
1: team? Yeah, it yeah. was not Jeremy Clarkson's PR <laughs> team. No, Source, uh, Jez.
2: <laughs> yeah, so
1: may, uh, like Mr. J. Clarkson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, maybe it's some anatomical expert who's saying this is kind of on average, if you're this this tall and your arm's this long, maybe it's, and it wasn't that. And I thought well, maybe this is an experimental thing. You know, um, some unlucky work experience kid in the lab came into the lab one day to find half the population of British television lined up along a wall with a tape measure in their hand. (laughs) How this came about, and it made several national newspapers, was a website uh, asked a bunch of people to guess. Here is a list of 20 celebrity male names. How long do you reckon their cock is? Right, that is the entire base of the story, and it made the news in several national newspapers. Oh, and I thought that to me is quite fascinating that all the newspapers ran this, but it's based on nothing but conjecture. And it was actually for a website called um, F Buddy. Um, <laughs> guessing well. it's not Friendly Buddy. <laughs> it's probably a, probably a different F, and it was just a way of getting their name in the newspapers yeah. in a way that was a headline grabbing story. And I thought that's what's interesting. There is any journalist. In the traditional sense of what you think a journalist would be, you know, the yeah. fact checker, the the someone who's got a network of sources who's out there sort of telling truth to power. Anybody who comes to a story like that, who reads it for a second, would say, "Well, obviously this is bollocks." Yeah, 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 Why would this ever get run? And that's what got me starting to really look into into why uh, a story like this runs and why lots of stories end up running in the newspaper.
0: I guess am I right in thinking that something like that is just pure clickbait?
1: Absolutely, it, it is. It's absolutely clickbait.
0: Because I mean, I mean, I'm thinking now, right? about Jeremy Clarkson's piece. I mean, obviously. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. He's, he's a big guy. He's probably about 6'3", isn't he? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And he's quite sort of stocky as a person. So I guess that you would look, as, as a member of the general public, you'd look at that and assume... That he'd have a big penis, but one of the things that I have noticed about penises
1: in, my extensive, in my
0: extensive research is that people who tend to have an absolute pipe are skinny men.
1: Yes. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not to take it too far uh, too far away. I'll, I'll bring it back to as room. a skinny guy. I can uh, attest. No, but
0: but there's so there's there's comedians on the uh, on the circuit who are known to have massive dicks, and every single one of them is a skinny. Uh, apparently, Daniel Sloss has got a huge cock, like enormous, and he's not like you, you wouldn't look at. He, he's not like a, a stocky, big six foot three guy. Mm. So I'm trying to think in my head who would have, like, which celebrity would have, like, a secret whopper?
2: Bill Nye. <laughs> Bill Nye, the
0: science guy. Yeah. <laughs> Just pushing around the universe with his big old dick. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Pee-wee P- P- Herman.
2: He's
1: pretty
0: <laughs> <laughs> to throw you up the oh, kid, Fucking hell. I've always thought, though, that Like, the whole reason nowadays, or at least I feel like the whole reason that the media makes stories is purely for clickbait because no one buys newspapers so, nowadays. So that,
1: that's the major, major issue is that no one buys newspapers. If you look at um, the the historical owners of newspapers, it was often your kind of captains of industry, usually men who'd made a lot of money somewhere else, and then they bought a newspaper to be Mr. Billy Bigshot. You know, I am I own a newspaper. I'm an important guy. Citizen Kane it's, type stuff. So it was
0: like the uh, buying a football club of the exactly. 1800s. It's, it's the,
1: look how important I am in society that the news gets disseminated because of me. Yeah. It was that kind of philanthropy or not, not quite philanthropy, but kind of the, the, the kudos rather than the cash kind of thing, the power rather than the profit. But then you get someone like um, Rupert Murdoch comes along, Robert Maxwell, Richard Desmond, people who are businessmen who want to run the news as a profit-making industry. And so if you are a businessman and you come into uh, a, an industry that hasn't traditionally been all about making profit, you try to look for ways you can maximize your profit. So the first thing you do is you say, well, where are there expenditures I can get rid of? So why do I need a guy or a, a, you know, any reporter at all sat in a courtroom all day, deciding, like, watching all of the trials, watching all the cases, deciding what's an interesting story to tell. If I sack that person and get my general desk journalist to call the courtroom at the end of the day and say, send me your notes from the cases you think are interesting. I get the same number of stories in the newspaper, but I cut a salary off the staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem there is the person who sits in a courtroom all day becomes an expert on what's an interesting story to tell. Yeah. If you sack them... The general person who's been writing six or seven stories all day and then is picking up the phone to the courtroom doesn't have the time to dig into which of those stories are really interesting. You only get the stories that the courtroom deems interesting. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. your ability to speak truth to power diminishes, even though you're putting out the same amount or even, in fact, more content with fewer people. Yeah. And you see this in lots of different specialist journalist areas. If you, science journalists is the same thing.
0: If your boss says to you, like, listen, I know your job is to write six articles a day, but now your job is also to write six articles a day and then you finish at five, but at half four, I want you to ring the courthouse and ask them for their most interesting stories. Yeah. You can guarantee that that is not a job that they are going to spend over thirty minutes on. Oh God, yeah. no!
2: And they're just going to oh speeding ticket, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> front page. hold the front page. <laughs> but
1: it's, this, is with... a... this is why we end up seventy six in it. This is why we end up with uh, with stories where the the police's version of it, The same thing happens with the police. What crimes what, in, what crimes that we should be knowing about have been uh, have been reported have, have been happening today. We end up with the police's version of events running in the news first. So. When the police say, oh, there was these two terrorist brothers in London and we burst into the room and one of them in confusion shot the, his brother and uh, they were found making a bomb, um, that story runs in the papers. And then a few months later, when you find out that actually there was never a bomb there and the brother didn't shoot the other brother, the police shot them, that takes a lot longer to come out and doesn't hit the headline in the same way because you didn't have someone there on the scene at the crime coming down asking people who yeah, yeah, just yeah. took the police press release and put it out as is, assuming that the police are telling the truth. They don't
0: do that anymore. I thought I, for they some do, reason... Uh, I, A lot less, a lot less. I thought that they did for some reason. Because even in films now, even films you have like, if you have like a crime scene... And you have somebody in like a fedora with like a little uh, a little card on that says press yeah. and a little fucking little pencil, notepad. Nick
1: the pencil. Yeah. The what pipe. happened here? See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And looks and like and the body's th- been stabbed. <laughs> ah, get away, you. The body's been stabbed. <laughs> the body's
1: been stabbed. <laughs> that's that's what great generalism. journalism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Still
2: you, better you than out the on a career there. Absolute <laughs> the career. You, a loss
1: to the industry. But like that's what journalism used to be. And if you go back, there was a study from uh, Cardiff University that looked at the workload of journalists today and compared to the workload of journalists 30 years ago? Oh, I imagine that it's far more today. Three times as many stories per day. Whoa! Because newspapers have got thicker than you've got the online. So these days, everybody expects news to be uh, immediate, free, and accurate. That's what they want their news to be. Nobody pays for it, and they want it to be instant. It's not, it, it used to be the case that, thing, that the newspaper you pick up was, here is an incomplete record of some things that happened yesterday and we've had the day to work on it. It's not everything, and it's not wholly accurate, but we're going to do our best. Do you know what? Now it's this happened 10 minutes ago, and if I haven't told you about it yet, someone else will. And if they're wrong, they're first, they get the advertising dollars, and we don't.
0: Totally. Do you know what? I bet you could trace the moment that journalists' work tripled back to the fucking point where Twitter became a thing.
1: No, it's, it's, it's before that. It's before Really? That. It's re- it really is when people like Murdoch started buying up newspapers because you just, l- you just oh. get rid of some of your staff and have who's left pick up more stories. Oh, right. So yeah, I see. What happens at this point is you have a lot of journalists who have to write three times as much copy per day. They haven't got the time to write it. So they start looking for sources of pre-written stories. They'll go to PR, so press releases and things. And we can talk about that quite a lot because that's where I've spent a lot of time looking. But they also go to things like um, Press Association and Newswire. Yeah. Okay, so... That doesn't seem like too bad an idea. Press Association, Associated Press, you know, Argent France Press, they are really um, well-established places where you can get information from. Um, They've they've got uh, reporters all around the world at major events, and every newspaper will sign on for the feed from the Newswire which will give them all sorts of stories they're happening all around the world. And you, you pick that story up and then you turn it into a story for your, your newspaper, which is why lots of newspapers will report the same events, often with the same quotes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I did a, a story, um, I did a, an event rather, um, 2010, we did a big stunt to demonstrate that homeopathy was nothing but sugar pills by having everybody take an overdose of sugar pills uh, outside their locker boots, go in their boots, buy some boots homeopathy, everybody next at exactly the same time.
0: Imagine if you were wrong.
1: Yeah. We, d- we did our work, we did our homework, we really did our research. We were, town yeah. outside we were very, very careful to, to know that we were right. <laughs> Cult leader, Michael Marshall. the, coll- yeah. but oh, the story about it ran in every single newspaper. It was front page of the BBC for the day. It was independent, the mail It was in every single newspaper. And I didn't do an interview to a single newspaper that day. No. I spent ages trying to get the newspapers interested, talking to the BBC saying, this is gonna be happening. This is gonna be quite a big story. I promise you, you're gonna cover this. Yeah. Uh, and they wouldn't come down. I gave a five minute interview to the press association on the morning of the event, and it ran in every newspaper with the same quote. And not one newspaper for me to even check if it happened. Really? Not one. So, knowing you
0: as I know you, I bet the wheels have been turning in your mind. And I bet you've been thinking, is there a way that I could get every newspaper to cover something that didn't happen?
1: <laughs> well, actually, what I do is I spend a lot of time looking at the people who have actually done that. I mean, you might have seen um, last week, there was a, a story of a, uh, a wholesale manufacturer who prints up a lot of uh, T-shirts for Britney Spears, the Free Britney T-shirts. Oh, Britney. yeah, because
0: she's in a conservative ship conservative. or whatever. Yeah, ship. exactly. Yeah. And well,
1: so all of her supporters are doing the Hashtag Free Britney thing. And there's a, a company printed 10,000 T-shirts with Hashtag Free Britney, but they spelt it wrong. Hashtag Free Brittany. As in Legion the the- of France, <laughs> 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 well, like William the Conqueror. <laughs> Every single newspaper. You, you, if you look, if you Google that, look at hashtag Free Brittany. All the newspapers are reporting on that. They're showing pictures of the T-shirts. They're saying, "Oh, isn't this ridiculous?" But we're still going to sell them anyway, and there's a, pr- a percentage of the profits going to. Uh, Do you know what the, I, I find? Is, the story's bollocks. Is it? Yeah there's no way that story is true. It's from a company called Wholesale Clearance UK. They are a company that deals in bulk remaindered stock. So if you've got a lot of stock to shift, that's a bit weird and novelty. Oh. Line, they'll shift it. And you know, I've spoken to them. They they stand by it. They say it's true. I don't believe that it's true. I don't believe you get to a point where the t-shirt has gone to print and nobody spots the spelling error. I just don't buy that at all. All the stories that ran in all the newspapers didn't show you a picture of the t-shirt. They showed you what was clearly a stock image with the slogan, photoshopped over the top. To be fair... Once it makes the news, you then see him with T-shirts, but once it's made the splash, it's much easier to get 50 T-shirts printed and say, we've got 10,000 of these fuckers.
0: To be fair, that's fucking clever on their part, isn't it? They're very good. That's clever. Do you know what with the the Britney Spears thing is Mm. I'm sort of fascinated by it because, like, for the longest time, we were all told that everybody who believed that her... Conservativeship? Con-
2: Conservatorship.
0: Conser- yeah. There's a lot of letters in that yeah, word, yeah. isn't there? And they come <laughs> thick and fast it out of it. takes a <laughs> twist
1: in the <laughs> million, I expected.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You start off C-O-N, and you're like, bang, and then it goes, yeah. and then you know it ends in ship, but yeah. the middle is a fucking blag. Um, so with that thing, we were told for the longest time, like, listen, right... Uh, that is, it's not true. Her father loves her. Everything's fine. And these people are crazy crackpot super fans that can't take that. Britney just wants to be out of the limelight. And then now, literally just in the last couple of months, she's gone out and she's like, this is a living hell. Yeah.
2: yeah like the, li- the the leave Britney alone person, the person crying yeah, in the bedroom. Who sheets. was absolutely right, it turns out. They themselves at that person for, for years. Mm. And then yeah. it turns out, oh, right. Yeah, Sorry. exactly.
0: <laughs> but he's not going to get any. Uh, he's not going to get any traction by going. I was right because yeah, yeah, the damage yeah. has already been done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit! I forgot but, about the leave Britney alone person.
1: Yeah. yeah. But so on. The, so th- the company who's done that free Britney T-shirt, they've done quite a few of these, and i spend spent time sort of looking these up uh, all, over the years. I'm really fascinated by them. I think they're really, really good at working these gaps in the media. And there was one story they did going into the 2014 World Cup, I think it was, where um, the story was again, it says uh, England mugs with pictures of all the England team on. And they'd the, a company had gone away and made these non official mugs. So they'd Googled for pictures of the England players and they had all the England team there. But instead of Chris Smalling, when they Googled for a picture of Chris Smalling, they came back with a picture of Barack Obama. And bit they racist. Didn't, didn't spot it, absolutely. Absolutely a bit racist, right? Didn't spot it's it. Morgan Freeman, <laughs> uh, the England centre back. So they, they didn't spot it and they printed like 5,000 of these mugs with uh, Barack Obama. On it, and you know the, the oh, wasn't this embarrassing? But luckily, wholesale clearance UK have come in and bought the mugs off them, and then are they was going to sell well, them wholesale.
0: The thing about that is that, like, so I could kind of get like, so, so there was a thing uh, a while ago about uh, a company or somebody they got a image of Romelu Lukaku and Stormzy mixed up and it was like this is you know awful or whatever now I can buy that that's a genuine mistake because they are of a similar age and height and build yeah you know what I mean I, I can buy that that's a lazy person who just didn't quite you know whatever but Chris Smalling at the time would have been about 24 yes and Barack Obama would have been at least 50
1: yeah and, and the you. most famous man in the world <laughs> yeah. and I, I've never seen Barack Obama in an England shirt I'm no. not gonna... well that's exactly <laughs> it. it's in a full suit <laughs> isn't it yeah. that's exactly what? it on the side of the mug was a picture of Barack Obama in a 2014 England shirt a recently released 2014 England shirt and the story was meant to be we just went to Google Images and this was the first one we th- saw that we liked so when would Barack Obama have been lining up in a 2014 England shirt any journalist, just right there just me telling you the story like this has got to be bollocks he wasn't wearing the shirt no journalist checked It went all around the world. It was in international news, in like Time magazine and stuff like that, because it feels like a really fun, interesting story. And why bother spending the time investigating a story only to spike it? Because at the end of the day, you've still got six stories to write. Do you? And you spent half an hour getting rid of one.
0: Do you think though? Because I feel like you're coming at the perspective of this from like journalists uh, are either thick or lazy or they're overworked. Uh, and they just don't have the time to check this, I would say that there's maybe more nefarious means going on, and they know it's bollocks, but they're like, okay, number one, easy article. Number two, it'll get a shitload of clicks.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Done, 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 done. No, a- absolutely. I think those are definitely influences. I don't think journalists are thick, and I don't think they're lazy. I do think they're overworked. I think the idea that you've got to write six or seven stories a day in an eight-hour asterisk, because you will work a bit longer than that, shift, I couldn't turn out... 7,000 words, or, or you know, I couldn't turn out seven uh, well-written stories that, uh, that really worked. So I could imagine what would happen. Uh, and often this is, if you look at the Mail Online, a lot of their, their journalists will be recently graduated from uh, university, they've done a, a year's journalism course at the Mail Online, and now they're writing six or seven stories for the, for the Mail, with an editor who's like, you'll get it in the neck. If you don't file all seven stories that day, you'll get it in the neck, and you'll, it'll really hamper your progress as a journalist. If you've written six stories that day, and you're getting to about four o'clock, and you defined a story and you know that if you just take the first thing that comes into your inbox and put that out as a story, nothing bad will happen to you. Yeah. If, you if you say, no, I'm gonna keep up the ethical standard of journalism and not write that story because it's bollocks, you'll get it in the neck. Obviously the pressure is you accept it. And there was a, there was a piece that I always quote when I do lectures on this from the um, Evening Standard, which is a little sidebar, which was saying, the number of phone calls that the Evening Standard's uh, switchboard got with 10 minutes or half an hour to go before deadline from PR companies trying to give them stories was 1700 in that half hour. Oh,
0: because the they know that yeah, you're, yeah. you're, that you're panicking at that point. At gosh, that point.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's clever. And isn't one of the it? reasons they know that is there are fewer jobs in journalism than there used to be. So you've got a load of trained journalists who can no longer be journalists. Where do they go? the PR industry. Uh, so as is, this yeah. industry gets smaller, the PR industry gets bigger and bigger and you need, you've got more people trying to push stuff in there. So it, the pressure gets even higher on the junior journalists who then have an inbox flooded with a thousand bullshit press releases. Yeah. A day. And at some point, and, and I can well imagine if you're writing six stories a day and you say, look, there's two really important stories, really, really good, solid, proper old school journalism I'm going to do today. These two things I care a lot about. I'm going to spend three hours each on those two. And then the remainder two hours of the day, I'm just going to churn out the first four stories I can get. You go home with those two bylines, going, "These were fantastic stories. I'm proud of the work I've done." But two thirds of your output that day has been bollocks. Yeah, They've yeah, pushing yeah. lies yeah, yeah. into yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you yeah, go home yeah, yeah. feeling good about it, but at the same time, you're the majority of what you've done has been bad.
0: Do you know what? It's funny that, like, you know, with like editors and stuff. Like, if you think about the editor of a newspaper, there is such a stereotype of what that person is like, and it's fucking. Get me more pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, absolutely. There needs to be like a film or, or a TV show or anything where the editor is just really supportive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, do you know what? You're doing your best. Yeah. You know what I mean? You didn't manage to do seven articles today, but you came in with a smile and you really worked hard. And you know what? Tomorrow is a new day. Go <laughs> yeah. ahead and enjoy Hopefully Spider-Man will be about that <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you relax and get yourself home. And uh, maybe you'll come. Maybe Spidey will come. Maybe yeah. you won't. But you, want, we... you want the
1: editor who, who's supportive of the time you spiked a story. Yeah, you spend time looking at that, and you found out that was complete bollocks. Well done. That w- that counts just as much.
0: Our integrity is still intact. Yeah. Yes, and that means an awful lot to us here at the Daily Mirror. Do, yeah. you know <laughs> I mean? Do you know what? Speaking of the Daily Mirror, so I've had I I mentioned this t- to you, Marsh. I so we're at the point now where journalists are so fucking stretched for stories that some of them will sit on TikTok mm-hmm. and they will scroll through TikTok, and they will look for any TikTok video and go, well, that's journalism worthy. Let's fucking have that in. Now, sometimes the 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 TikToks that they choose have a very tight, a grain of journalistic merit, a mm. little bit. Maybe it's a mum sharing a life hack that saves her hundreds of pounds. Maybe it's something, you know, like th- 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 that will shave time off your day is something, something slightly interesting. But a lot of the times it is total bollocks. So I had a TikTok that made the Daily Mail, the Express and OK Magazine, all the big hitters. <laughs> 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 uh, and it was me uh, explaining that I never realized that the Royal Mail and the Post Office were two completely separate companies.
2: Oh, I remember this.
0: Yeah. 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 That was literally it. So it was me. I just naturally assumed, because I'm lazy and thick, that they're both red and they both deal yeah. with letters. Yeah, and unfair. so, therefore, and it blew my fucking mind that they were different, right? And that made three national, well, two national newspapers and a national magazine. A friend of mine, Gary, uh, you know, Gary Meikle? Yeah, yeah. So he's a he's a comedian as well, but he does a lot of online stuff. He did a TikTok where he um he's, he's like, I've just realised... The, the reason that digestive biscuits are called digestive biscuits is because you used to have one after a meal and it used to help your digestion and make you poo. And that made pretty much every national newspaper that.
2: That is, well, the, because that's dead easy, isn't it? Yeah, it's that's dead some, easy. You to... didn't know, someone's figured it out. You can just type it in. You can make a story out of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. 300 yeah. words around that, you've a story. a lot, lot, lot
2: of story. easier to make that story than, do you know what digestive biscuits are for? You go, this guy didn't know this.
0: And what they do is they're very clever because paragraph one writes itself. They go, hilarious comedian, blah, 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 blah. Went viral this week with with a fantastic TikTok about whatever, whatever. Paragraph one, done. Paragraph two, three, four... Uh, is them just literally say uh, the video begins with, and then they just literally take the speech, yeah. Yeah. and then uh, users in the comments were left baffled, and then they uh, yeah. a few comments, a comment. so and it that must so take twenty that, that minutes. That is the
1: reverse news. That's the reverse pyramid of news. That's what they they call that. They teach that the sort of the 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 pyramid of news. So the the idea is the way you write a news story is you put all the most interesting and important facts in the first paragraph. And then the second most important stuff, the next down, and the third most, and onwards like that. And the reason that happens is because if you think of um, old school journalism cut and paste, when it was literally a pair of scissors and a, and a pot of glue, if you've been given, um, you know, 500, 600 words to write on a story for that day, because you're going to be like the second biggest story on that, paper, on that page, and then a bigger story comes in, your editor needs to get rid of some of your copy. And so if you've written it like a story, you're going to have woven things all the way through. Yeah. If you've written it with the most important thing at the top, they can just go, well, actually, that first paragraph is all I need. I'll put it in this little sidebar. Uh-huh. And so PR companies, when they're giving press releases to journalists that they know they're going to print verbatim, because there's loads of stuff that gets the the, the press company, the PR company, just gives them, his a thousand words written exactly as I know this newspaper would print a story. And if it looks as much like a, newspo- a story from that newspaper as possible, then a journalist is going to say, oh, yeah, I can see this going in the Daily Mail, so I'll just file that, and they don't change it. When the PR company, because the, or the, the the reporters or the people working for the PR company know their way around journalism, they know that news pyramid thing. So if you are tasked to get your client name mentioned in the newspaper, you don't put it in the first paragraph because then everyone goes, well, obviously this is just a bed company talking about how you need a good night's sleep. That's cynical bullshit. That's an yeah. advert. Everyone's going to recognize as bollocks. But you don't put it 10 paragraphs down. Because then, what if you need to trim off some of the text from the bottom? It's still going <laughs> to yeah, So yeah. if you ever see, this is my own more, I think I came up with this law. I can't find anybody else who said it before me. I keep trying to find, in case I plagiarise someone. But if you see the name of a company in around the fourth paragraph of a story, that's the company who paid to put it there. Oh, now that's high enough up to escape the cut, but low enough down to be... Away from uh, from being totally obvious. So let's say you Here's have a
2: story for any journalist out there, media expert, plagiarizers <laughs> theory. I've I've tried it's really hard. <laughs> I've tried really hard to find
1: this kind of the, the fourth the third or fourth paragraph law. I've tried to find who who I've stolen this what from. What would you claim but it? Every has? time I find anybody who mentions it and I read it at the end they're saying if you want to know more about this, it was coined by Michael Marshall and links back to me, so I just keep finding myself. What
0: there. would you so so if you're let's say you came up with it first, what are you calling the law?
1: Uh, I'd say third paragraph law.
0: Oh, you're not gonna put your name in it? No,
1: no. Really? I'll save my name for something more interesting, more interesting than that.
0: Really? Oh yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, you don't want, if you want to live throughout the ages, it's not, I've got, it's not in the I've got, paragraph. I've
1: got big ambitions. No, but honestly, that's just such a useful, it's not, always, it's not always the case, sometimes it's further up or further down, but because exactly what you described about, the way they write those stories, they write themselves, that's where it needs to go.
0: What are your opinions on PR companies?
1: Um so i've I've worked in marketing in in the past for quite a long time. I've taught PR occasionally at journalism schools. I think actually PR companies have a useful role to do. They do genuinely have a useful role. They can if, if what they're doing is telling you the genuine product benefits of what they're about or you know the the uh, what really happened with this charity that they're working with, I think it's got a really useful role. But just like with journalism, it's an important role, but it needs to be done ethically and responsibly. And the, the problem at the moment is that a lot of the, the PR that I follow, the of the PR that I spot, is finding the lowest common denominator, the easiest line in. And that'll be like, well, men say this, but women say that. And they'll just find this kind of sexist bullshit as an easy, way, a, easy line in. Can, um, can
0: I ask you, uh, in a minute, I'm going to ask comedian Phil Chapman what a comedian's view on PR companies is. But okay. before I ask him that question... I want you to guess what you think his answer is going to be. What do you think the comedian's view on PR companies is?
1: I'm going to say it's negative. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, they often try to pigeonhole you into a very specific thing they can sell, even if it's a, a very flimsy version of what you actually do.
0: Oh, do you know what? You are, y- y- the answer's right, but the thinking's not quite oh, okay. there. What's, uh, what's comedian's... Uh... Well, I, pers- I've never used a
2: PR company. I don't need to. Cause i'm famous and <laughs> <laughs> no i don't have the money to use a pr company but my view from other people's experiences is they're a waste of time for comedians because i remember i can't remember who the comedian was but they were telling me they sat down with their pr agent and the first thing the pr agent said was sorry what was your name again <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> for the well, Edinburgh Fringe i think they'd spent two grand on this well if oh, anyone right, should yeah, know yeah, yes. yeah the Edinburgh Fringe Um
0: so. yeah so so Comedians don't generally have to deal with PR companies other than at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Yeah, yeah. And when you have to deal with them at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, PR companies are absolute soul-sucking fucking leeches, right? Uh, They charge a minimum of two grand, usually two and a half, three thousand pounds. And what they do is they take on as many clients as is possible to work with them to the point where they cannot possibly give a comprehensive service to all of those clients. And what they do is they take... And the things as well is, look, if you're doing Edinburgh it's a big expense, right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times, people go to Edinburgh to try and make that next jump into their career. And if you're going to do that, you need to spend money on a venue, you need to spend money on a flyering team, you might want to spend money on a director, you might want to spend money on sort of show production. Uh, you, you know, you're putting quite a bit of money into this. And these PR companies know that. And so, Accommodation. The, yeah, yeah, accommodation. All all the yeah, yeah. And so the temptation is, is that if you're spending 10 grand on your Edinburgh show, and this is going to be a big push in your career... Why would you spend 10 grand and it potentially not get any coverage when you can spend 12 and a half grand and it might, you know, get you loads of press and stuff like that? So the PR companies know that you look at that and you are tempted to go with them, right? Now, when you sign with the PR company, what guarantees do you think that they give in terms of uh, what they will do for you? And imagine none. Literally none. So they don't guarantee, they could, and there have been stories of this before, of people paying two and a half grand, and them not being in any newspaper, getting three reviews uh, from fucking random people's blogs and stuff like that, and still having to pay two and a half
2: grand. That's one of the things, the journalists, like you said, where they have like seven stories or whatever, I imagine, same for reviewers. So that's why they end up sticking around the same sort of places in Edinburgh yeah because yeah, so they don't really move away, yeah, to because the fringe the fringe fringe venues. because you've yeah. got a fringe, and now you've got a fringe fringe, yeah where people are outside the fringe the hmm. fringe of the fringe fringe of the yeah, fringe. Yeah, yeah, and that's in danger of getting another fringe, <laughs> so we've got three fringes. But there's, like, fringes everywhere. But that's the thing that the reviewers are like,
1: well, I haven't got time to go. Yeah, the the more stuff there is, the more they they have to file, and so they just, you know, they they take those kind of decisions. Here's
0: another thing as well. So, you know, whenever it's the Edinburgh Fringe, you will notice how there will be a million different newspapers all doing, these are the best jokes of the Edinburgh Fringe, and it's Classic like... press association. That yeah. Bit. Yeah. It and is. It's,
1: it's, it's a dead easy story.
0: Well, this is it. And it's like, guys, we're on day three. Like, yeah, yeah. how do you possibly know what the best jokes are? What it is, is, yeah, they literally, the PR, um, uh, say, submit a joke, submit a short joke from your show, and they just put it in. Yeah. And it's a really easy way for them to go, we got our clients into the Times, the Guardian, the Telegraph.
1: Well... So this happens outside the comedy world as well. So um, I spend a lot of time looking at uh, market research companies that poll, um, you know, a thousand people said X. So a thousand people said what they really look for on a holiday is a really comfy bed. And it's from a bed company that uh, yeah. supplies mattresses to a, a hotel chain, something like that. And when you look at how that market research <laughs> also, is carried out. Also, if
0: you went into a travel agent and said, and they were like, what are you looking for? A nice beach? Yeah. And you went, what I'm really looking for is a comfy bed. Yeah. And they'd be <laughs> like, sex holiday. <laughs> Sorry, you're off to Thailand and you want a comfy <laughs> bed. Yeah. Mm, you you make sure that you keep your distance from yeah. me, sir.
1: I've not worked in micro research. My examples aren't perfect. <laughs> but like, you've, you, how that market research happens, people assume this is you've sat down and talked to a thousand people and then written down what they've said. But what you can actually do is you can look into the companies that provide that Mark Research data. You Uh can actually sign up to be part of the panels and get the questions asked. And so what I would do is I would sign up to the panels. I'd see the questions. I'd screenshot the questions that look interesting and I'd wait a week and watch the results appear in the newspaper. And there was one that I did, which was um, (laughs) the, so you get paid about 10 pence for every survey you take, but you don't get any money until you've made 40 quid. So you're taking 400 surveys, okay? You get screening questions at the start to say uh, to make sure you're eligible for this. And the screening questions are things like, have you been on an aeroplane in the last 12 months? Now, this is to say whether you were allowed in and get that 10 pence or not. Is the survey going to be about the time you weren't on an aeroplane? No. Obviously not. So you go, yeah. well, yeah, fuck it, I was on an aeroplane. Yeah. Do you have a child and are they with you right now? Yeah, fuck it, 10 pence, what's it matter? Yeah. Of course they are. So you start answering surveys you aren't actually eligible for Oh yeah. because you just want the 10 pence. The other thing is, because when they say 1,000 people answered this, it's not the first 1,000 people to start the survey, it's the first 1,000 people to finish the survey. So if it's 17 questions long, and you really think about all your answers really well to give them the best quality data possible, you're beaten by the guy who clicks the first thing he sees.
0: Yeah. So yeah. there's an
1: incentive to take as many surveys as possible, as quickly as possible, to not think about what you... So it's you a race? Do. It's a race. And if you know it's a race and you're setting the, the survey up, you know to put the, the answers that you want... Near the top of the list where people are going to find them. Uh, Ah,
0: you cheeky fucking bastards. This this
1: actually has has a real world impact. So, there's one survey that I always talk about when I give lectures, which was about who do you prefer to work for, men or women? Binary choice, 50 50. You can't say, I don't think gender actually makes a big difference. It's the most important factor I look for in a boss. I think they're equally good. You can't say that. You have to choose. If you want your 10 pence, men or women. So, let's say you say men. The next question is, why do you think men make better bosses? And it's, well, they're easier to reason with. There's the list of answers. They're easier to reason with. They're more rational. They don't bitch about uh, their colleagues. It's Uh, uh, lists uh, that uh, 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 the company has given you to pick from.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
1: next question, if you've got to choose one of those, if you want your 10 pence, the next question is, if you said men make uh, good bosses, why do you think women make bad bosses? I never said women make bad bosses. You forced me to choose binary, which is better, but they might both be brilliant and men be slightly better. But now, if I even answer this question, I'm saying women make bad bosses. And in the list of things of why women make bad bosses that you're forced to choose from, um, it's because they're hormonal. They, uh, they, they uh, are um, always bitching about <laughs> their sounds colleagues. Sounds nailed on to be honest. One them was just, <laughs> just bleeding all over the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. One of the answers to, to select was just, they lie. It was just women they lie. Lying, <laughs> they? And this story <laughs> made the BBC, it made the Guardian. It was in all of the media and then it was in the secondary media. So it was on your talk shows. It was on your radio call-ins. <laughs> so the call-in today is about, there's a cert, the study says that women make bad bosses. Tell me about your worst bosses. This was just for a recruitment company. Wow. Five Five years later, magazines are still putting a little inset. Did you know 72% of people think women make bad bosses? Really? When you read the story, what you see is they're hormonal, they lie, they bitch all the time, and this is even what women say about women. This is why men are such better bosses. And you read that thinking this has come from interview of what people have said, rather than we give a 1,000 people a preset list of misogynistic answers and force them to choose one of them.
0: It's essentially you gave... uh I mean, I imagine that the people that fill out that survey are. I imagine that not most of them are like you that are doing it for some sort of like academic uh, quest for knowledge on how things work. I imagine a lot of people are quite just desperate for money. I imagine, yeah, they're unemployed people. So we yeah. have got nothing else it's to do. So promote
1: on Money yeah. Saving Expert as just a bit of fun, a fun way to pass, you know, a few minutes yeah. here and there.
0: So basically, you gave people in poverty a race for 10 pence. Yeah and whatever Seven fucking if you're a woman
1: yeah <laughs> well actually you know i think it's even worse I love than how that. you
0: took a little sip of water <laughs> that, after that he nice, said nice. a very good thing about fucking the gender pay gap
2: and he just did a little oh, lovely sip Here of water for a bit of woke balance
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. clip that for twitter sorted <laughs> um, but like no it's even worse than that i think because remember you don't get the money until you've made 40 quid so you're spending maybe 4 or 5 minutes for your 10 pence, so your hourly rate is already shit um, a lot of people, I think, stop before they ever get to 40 quid. So you're giving, them not, you're giving them the promise of maybe giving them 10 pence that you never give them in order to do that. And the ramifications of this are actually, you know, the, 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 the impact of this wanted in the press are surprising. And um, when Michael Gore was the education secretary, he talked about how kids these days, survey after survey shows kids are historically ignorant about basic facts about Britain. And therefore we should change the history curriculum from the current focus on you know, checking sources and understanding biases. We should go back to facts and figures. And when a teacher through FOI request said, what surveys do you mean? They came back with an, a Daily Mail article about how nobody knows what the Spanish Armada was. Uh, another Daily Mail article about how someone thought that Jane Seymour was, uh, wasn't one of Henry VIII's wives or something like that. Uh-huh. When you look at these, these uh, Daily Mail articles, it was an advert for um, UK TV Gold series about Henry VIII. And that's why no one knows anything about Henry VIII. Kids don't know about Henry VIII. So why not watch our upcoming series on Henry VIII? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Excel, stuff like that all from these market research companies. And these stories would have been generated with those same screening questions of, do you have a child and are they with you right now? Yes or no. If you say, no, I'm not going to give you 10 pence. So I actually think most of the findings that were in those stories weren't generated actually from talking to any children at all about what they knew about history. It was people who didn't care because they just thought it's only 10 pence, clicking the first thing they see. And the history curriculum for the country nearly got changed off the back of it.
0: That's fucking mental. Uh, I mean, it also speaks to the fact that education in this country is, and and I'm speaking as a former teacher, uh, absolutely fucking shocking. There's literally something that's come out today as I was driving here, I was listening to the news. Um, So obviously we've had um, this thing that's disrupted the school's, uh, quite a lot recently uh, called uh, Mass Worldwide Pandemic. Uh, and there's been kids... I st- going to say Tories. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's really severely hampered education recently has been the Tory government. It's yeah. at that point that you take a sip of your water <laughs>
1: and <laughs> <laughs>
0: pop it down. Um, so basically, you know, obviously, uh, kids have had less time in schools. And so you would imagine that the smart thing to do, the thing that I would do in this situation, would be to trim down the curriculum because there is a lot of fucking bollocks on the curriculum that isn't required, and it's packed so tightly that even missing a week or two is devastating, let alone months and months and months. So you'd imagine that this is the time to strip back the curriculum and go, right, we don't need this, we don't need this, we don't need this. Let's focus on what does matter and go from there. Uh, the government has decided to do the total fucking opposite of that, and they are going to start trialling among some secondary schools teaching children Latin. Oh, nice. You know that, that dead yeah. language that we haven't <laughs> spoken to. in five hundred fucking Definitely years. Definitely need that. Yeah.
2: yeah, more things to learn. Yeah. Well, what if the you know the Arctic Arctic Circle just defrosts and all these Latin people come out or whatever? Just Latin people. Yeah. Just what like? <laughs> well, like Shakira. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Shakira. Latin people. Latin people. Love Spe- it. Speak the Latin. Like, People that speak that Romans. Romans. <laughs> Romans. <laughs> Romans <that's laughs> Julius
0: Caesar. Yeah. yeah. Who was famously frozen in a block of ice in Activate. the Antarctic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely pointless. It's absolutely yeah. fucking shocking. Is there, like, a hope for journalism at the moment, or is it just fucked?
1: Um, I the, always try to be optimistic. So I, I give lectures about this stuff to journalism students, first year journalism students at several different universities. I do and every it year. It
0: sounds like the well's been poisoned.
1: It's not that the well's been poisoned. It's been run dry. Is the biggest thing because, as you say, nobody. Do you buy newspapers regularly?
0: Do I balls? Yeah. But do you know? Do you what? read the news regularly? Well, do you know what? Here's here's the thing: is not only do I not buy newspapers, I I noticed this about myself recently. I don't buy newspapers. I don't uh, check news articles regularly online. Um, but what I do do is I follow certain people on Twitter who I trust. I have sort of like a an invisible trust network on Twitter, and I get news indirectly from them. And I don't know whether or not that's better or worse.
2: I think you, with that, the thing about Twitter, and I've said this for a long time, is I think journalists shouldn't be allowed on Twitter because it makes them lazy. And also it takes the, like, even though what you said about how people are just got to be quick, so Mm. there's not much journalistic standards anymore, I think Twitter has lowered them even further because it makes people like, for example, one of the things, you remember during the election when that guy shouted at Matt Hancock? Yes, yeah. Outside the hospital and Laura Kunzenberg tweeted, apparently a labor activist has been abusing Matt Hancock outside the hospital. Well, people read that and that is just, she's on Twitter as a private citizen. Yes, yeah. So yeah. people go, oh, that, that person said this, but because she's Laura Kunzberg, who's the political editor of the BBC, it's essentially the BBC saying. Yes a Labour activist yeah. that attacked Matt Hancock on the street. So,
1: yeah, it's, it, it, she's loosely but, tied to it. But what it, has to be done, it has to be done very, very carefully. It can be done incredibly wrong, incredibly badly, and that's that's, a, that's an example. I know that one of the things The Guardian, um, I read Alan uh, Rusbridge's uh, biography, and one of the things he was saying about digitising The Guardian was moving people onto Twitter as a way of saying, look, we aren't authoritative, we don't know everything, some of you will know more than we do, so here's our take tell us where we're wrong on stuff and use it as a way of sort of crowdsourcing through the expertise of, of your network. And I think that can be very useful. But when you are saying, yeah, when you're the political correspondent of the BBC saying things unchecked to a large audience thinking I'm just saying this, but actually what I'm doing is I'm reporting on the scene without any fact-checking. That's an incredibly yeah. damaging yeah. way of conducting And then they
0: journalism. put in the bio, views of my own. Yeah, so yeah it's yeah. like No, they're <laughs>
1: absolutely not. Yeah, they're absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and see, yeah, there's yeah. a little disclaimer, views of my own here. <laughs> yeah. Fucking pricks. But I I think getting your news from people on Twitter, I, I I don't think that's better, certainly for the industry, because that's the equivalent of somebody going to your comedy set, remembering all your jokes, and then going to their pub and telling everyone your jokes, and now nobody wants to come and see you do those jokes. You're like, well, hang on, I've just... I spent time honing that material... And because one person heard it has now repeated it to a hundred people, those hundred people are less likely to come and see, I TV, see me. I you. see
2: what you mean. It's, it's Who's probably- Who's this guy getting a hundred people in a round? have <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> done that gig? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who books that? <laughs> who, who books that gig? Um, do you know what? It's I, I I see what you say. It's not necessarily the guy in the pub though. I'll tell you what it is. And this is a fucking, it's the bane of my life. This, uh, uh, how it isn't illegal, I don't know, right? It's when you make content for your own page as a comedian, maybe you do funny tweets or something like that, and one of them might go viral, and what happens is a much bigger uh, page screenshots your tweets and either just screenshots your tweet or crops you the fuck out completely, doesn't credit you, doesn't ask you, doesn't pay you, and just sticks it on their fucking page, and they go, like that, and it's like, hang about. I'm not... You should be paying me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, because content is... It, it, It's not like this fucking physical entity. But if I walked into a shop and just grabbed a fucking Mars bar yeah. and was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take this Mars bar i'm actually going to sell it in my shop uh down the road you go what the fuck are you doing
2: i made this free Britney t t-shirt and
0: then they go listen uh don't don't (laughs) complain don't complain because what i'm going to do is if anyone asks i'm going to tell them that i got this mars bar from your shop and so your shop might get some exposure
1: you go go fuck yourself What, what you've just done there is you've become the the news industry talking about facebook yeah that's exactly what you've done oh no it's fine facebook everyone gets their news from facebook when i talk to journalism students they say where do you get your news facebook facebook don't come up with the news they don't write anything they don't commission journalists they just take news that's from somewhere else and if you ask them about all the money that facebook is making from you spending time on facebook with all the ads around it they'll say well i'm directing people towards this uh this newspaper it got even worse when they started to do that um auto-loading so Facebook would, pre would, uh, to speed things up, they would cache a new story. So they would take a story from the Guardian and instead of directing you straight to the Guardian website, they direct you to a Facebook cache of it. But if the Guardian website relies in part on traffic coming to the site in order to serve the ads and therefore charge the ads, if Facebook have cached one page of it and it's minimising the amount of people actually going through to the site, then that advertising revenue just disappears as well. Yeah. So at every turn, the news industry has had their revenue from people buying the news and paying for news taken away, you turn to advertising, that revenue goes away. The amount of advertising in print has just dropped off a cliff. Nobody clicks on ads on purpose. Most people have ad blockers. Nobody wants an ad. You know, the, the, the more that people don't click on ads, the more newspapers pack their page with ads to force you to. So the Daily Mail will have massive ads down the side and massive ads in the middle and a pop-up ad and everyone tries to block the fuck out of it. So all the money goes that way. And so they start doing things like um, native advertising, content marketing. Have you ever seen the box on most newspapers uh, where it's like from around the web? Or brought to you by uh, Outbrain or Tabula. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever clicked through to some of those? No, they're they're genuine scams. They're absolutely scams. I've clicked through. their herbal scams, t- promising to cure your IBS with a random herbal pill from the Guardian website. Um, there's PPI loan scams. There's other kind of financial scams. Fuck I spent. I, I wrote yeah. a piece for uh, for the Skeptic uh, magazine that I'm the, the editor of, just following through um, all of those Taboola or Outbrain, these content aggregator site uh, ads on a single Daily Star article and it was 20 or 30 of them, and the majority of them were scams. Now, the star doesn't know that they're scams because the way that box works is we just hire out this bit of space, and whatever you show people in that bit of space isn't on us. We don't get to edit it. We don't get to determine it. You determine, based on traffic, what you put in there. Yeah. So Taboola, go and find whatever they like, whoever's going to give them money to serve their ads somewhere. It's they like that. take that money and just put that anywhere.
0: It's like uh, that little bit of land in South Africa.
2: You mean East Wittani.
0: That little... Um,
2: is it East Wittani? The little bit in the free Swaziland. State. Oh, Swaziland. Swaziland, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. East okay. like, it's it's like Swaziland. Size. Or the Vatican.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The Vatican yeah. would have been a better thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, The Vatican. People would have known the Vatican. <laughs> Isn't it... How My Brain Works is a really fucking messed up...
1: Well, I, I got the boarded bit, but then I was trying to see the relevance to content going in there that you can't So South determine. Africa
0: doesn't determine what goes on in Swaziland. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: That, that makes sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm such a fucking idiot.
1: But, what, this means is, what this means is a lot of people who are going to a Guardian article or a Mirror article or a Mail article are seeing uh, deliberately formatted to look like another Guardian article a link to a thing that The Guardian have no idea what it is.
0: It's cashing in on their their name, basically, isn't it? it?
1: It's selling their name because that's all they've got left to sell. They can't sell their content because nobody buys it anymore. So 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 all they can sell is their name and their authority in the space that uh, that they occupy. So
0: where do you think we go from here, then? Because it sounds like journalism is completely fucked however you look at it. It sounds like there's just no money left in it because, um, you know, standards have dropped so low as well just to try and keep up with the incessant demand for content now, it sounds like there's there's no way of monetizing this anymore. Without a way of monetizing it, standards are going to drop further and further to the point where... Anything is fucking news. Me, yeah. me, not knowing that Royal Mail and fucking Post Office are different companies is, is well, national news.
1: Or partisan websites spreading actual fake news, like the literal term of fake news, will be considered just as uh, just as authoritative because they've you know, they've got the money to look authoritative. Yeah. So that's that's a, that's the other damaging place we get to is that so, no one can tell the difference between real news and fake news because the fake news gets so well financed and looks so, so
0: good. is there a way? Oh, oh, I fucking I
1: fake news is just a lost leader, though, isn't it?
0: Because you
2: can invest in fake news and it will get you what you want. Well,
1: well, fake fake news is sort of like what uh, the 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 intent of old school journalism when it was owned by people who just wanted the power. Yeah. It's that but evil, essentially. Yeah. It's like, well, I want you to really think the Pope endorsed Donald Trump so you go out and vote for him, even though I know for a fact we just made this fucking thing up entirely I, whole cloth.
0: I yeah. honestly am shitting my pants about, you know, deep fake videos? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because at the moment, the last thing that we have left, nobody fucking knows what is real and what isn't real anymore. Reality has been warped now to the point where nothing that you read, you can take as verbatim unless you are willing to be a clever person and to sit down and rationally go through and probably, but that takes so long. You hmm. can't just have a bite-sized view of what's got. You can't, right? No. So anything that you read now is bollocks. But for the time being, if you see a video with your own eyes, you can go, yeah, well, that's what happened. Hmm. And even that's going to get taken away from us.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of less worried about that. I think but, um, partly for, through uh, uh, naive uh, naivety and partly through pessimism. I think so. I think. We could, go, we could go back 20 years and you say, look, you can't believe what you read. But when you see a picture, you know that that's got to be true. And then our ability to fake pictures got to a point where we're like, well, yeah, anyone can Photoshop anything. Pictures don't matter anymore. Yeah. And I think we'll get to that point with videos. But I think part of the problem is when it comes to, to deep fake videos, I don't think they persuade people of anything they weren't already predisposed to be persuaded of. Mm-hmm. It makes them more likely, more likely to believe it with more fervor, but it's not going to radically change, completely change someone's mind, I don't but think. I re- like
0: so I reckon... Uh, if the Matt Hancock uh having an affair thing happened ten years later, uh with he would blame it on deepfake. I think it's a really easy out for anybody caught with anything. Yeah, it's a, to a go easy out for Deepfake. Yeah. And then you yeah, well, Who Trump knows? was doing that the whole
2: time, wasn't he? You just if he did if you didn't like what you said about him, he'd go that's fake news. Yeah, before deep, <laughs> I love that but though. Before
1: did deep, such <laughs> a great <laugh>, <laughs> yeah. No, nope, not real. But, but, no, but, but you don't understand. Before we don't have we didn't have deep fake during Trump, and yet his dis- his supporters would just admit dismiss anything that was provable against him as yeah. fake news because they were predisposed to, to dismiss it. So, I don't think we need the technology. I think, and, and this is why I said it's through both naivety, because maybe I'm completely wrong about that, and pessimism, because we're already fucked. But what's <laughs> going be... to get us more fucked? People are going to be just as partisan and just as but What's
0: going to be left as something that you can actually trust? Because you can't trust journalists, you can't trust uh, pictures. The one thing that you can trust right now is I saw a video of it, it happened. The only thing that would be left is I was literally there. Mm. And unless you see it with your own eyes, then you're not going to be able to.
1: What, a live video? You couldn't deep fake it alive. We'll get to a point where you probably can. I mean, if you look at Snapchat filters and stuff like that, the amount that they yeah, can Snapchat, overlay onto yeah, yeah. what you're doing, yeah. you know, your backgrounds and things, you can change a hell of a lot. I, I think what we'll be left to is is um, the where we started basically, which is a story isn't true until it's confirmed by multiple sources. And we we were at a point. Twenty, thirty, 30, whatever years ago with journalism, where the stuff that went in the newspaper, you wouldn't run a, a piece of information, not in a respectable journalism, a respectable newspaper as a respectable journalist, unless you'd verified it through multiple different sources. Then we got to a point with Twitter and with the immediacy trumping accuracy, yeah. because it's so important that we get there first, regardless of whether it's true or not, that you just went, well, this is half a source. They're not that reliable, but fuck it. If we don't run it, someone else will. I think we'll get back to a point where because everything is so unreliable, you'll need to come at things from several different angles to verify it. Otherwise, nobody's going to believe it. You've got to prove it through several different means.
0: So to go back to what we were saying before, to sort of wrap this up a little bit, is there any way that we can, that like journalism can survive this with its integrity intact? Is there any way of journalism managing to monetize itself properly again? Because it seems to me, especially from hearing some of the terrifying stuff that you've said it seems to me like it's on such a slippery slope now, there's no coming back from this, there's no yeah. coming back from it and that with every passing year uh, standards are getting lower and advertising revenue is getting lower and sales are becoming less and less, so there's less money in it it just seems like it's sliding away into irrelevance. But who's
2: going to do anything about it? It works for the government, doesn't it? They, it works, it's on their side just slipping journalism, not being able to investigate properly. Well, it, it does until it gets to a point
1: because at the same time, the government needs a robust press in order to put the stuff that they're seeing out there in a way that people will uh, will rely on. We get a pandemic and then suddenly everyone needs good health information and they, the government have to turn to being live on the BBC and putting stuff out in the newspapers. So there's, there is value to degrading the press so far, but once you go too far, you've got nothing left to, to work with. So the government does need a, a robust press. They just need to have this kind of tense uh, conflicting relationship with yeah. it, I think. Um, I, I think, where well, th- there are ways to monetize it. If you look at, um, you know, The Guardian's doing some really interesting things around membership. So people, there's quite a lot of people think, actually what you're doing, well, it's sort of the Patreon model kind of thing before Patreon was, was around. Was,
0: and speaking of Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com <laughs> forward slash pigoted.
1: Exactly. But you know, it's, it's it, if, if people appreciate the things that you're doing and you're able to, to make that connection with people in at an, enough of an emotive level then they will put the hand in the pocket Washington Post I think owned by Jeff Bezos has done quite well at keeping him at arm's length so this is just a money just an income thing back to the old school model of you're a billionaire give us money we'll do a thing that's a good for the world
0: I have had a brilliant idea okay journalism only fans yes that would be Laura
1: Laura <laughs> <Koonsberg>. <laughs> like, in the buff. Yeah, Rob, Robert Peston in yeah, the smalls. Robert Peston,
0: Robert Peston with a massive Bob plug. Andrew O'Neill. <laughs> Andrew <laughs> O'Neill wanking himself raw. I would, again, for three quid a month or whatever, that's what I would go for.
1: Weirdly, speaking of Andrew Neil, one of the things that makes me optimistic about the future journalism is how badly GB News has done. Oh, yeah. You know, they launched always it, oh, gonna be like the Fox News of the UK and it launched and it's a fucking joke. And yeah. people are jumping ship and it just doesn't work because that level of partisanship I don't think we're ready for. Certainly not in a broadcast news in, the, in this country. So I think there is still some seeds of hope in there. And I also think Have you watched any GB News? No, I've deliberately not wanted to give them the videos. I've have seen the you clips on Twitter. Watched any? I've seen
2: clips, but not much.
0: So I have watched some. Uh, because I was interested. I was interested to see, you know, no one's launched a news channel like that in my adult lifetime, so I thought, I wonder how this is going to work out, right? So I watched it, and I've I've watched one 10-minute segment and it was a fellow on Dan Wooten, Wooten, mm, yeah, 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 Aussie dude. He's been yeah, on the Sun. I mean, he's been yeah, he's yeah, still yeah. at the Sun. So, so, and, and and they had touted themselves, GB News, as, oh my goodness, you know, uh, everyone else is biased, but we are going to, you know, tell you how it really is from both sides of the coin. No bias on us, just proper debate, etc. You know, and I mean, we debate things on this on this podcast, you know, we have a laugh with it or something like that, and we don't have any, or try not to have any biases, but I don't try and make it into some sort of free speech issue or anything like that anyway, right? I watch it, Dan Wooten's on, and he's interviewing uh, somebody uh, uh, from China who's uh, coming live from China, and she's wearing a mask. And um, they're having a chat. She's not introduced as a doctor or anything like that. And Dan Wooten goes, you've got some uh, really interesting news uh, to tell us about COVID. And she went, yes, I have, yes. Uh, COVID uh, was man-made in a lab and China released it on purpose. And Dan Wooten went, wow, wow, that's incredible. And she went, yep, it's pretty incredible. And he went, wow, I can't believe that. That is amazing. And she went, yep, yeah, it's pretty amazing. China released it on purpose. And he went, right, yep, incredible and they went it is it is incredible and I'm like you're not going to uh, you're not going like like to like ask to King journalism. of the Hill when
2: yeah. they're outside <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: incredible <laughs> yeah and then Dan Wooten talked about propane for 40 minutes uh, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah but he didn't question it once so look I mean I'm, people
1: jump ship from that because that's not even people who are partners and would recognise that as not journalism
0: well this is it so I would have expected and I'm not a journalist Expert, but I was expect. I, I I would expect if you got somebody on that and they went, COVID was man-made in a lab by China who released it on purpose as a weapon for the world. Then I would expect them to go, okay. Uh, how do you know? And then and yeah. then we can go from there. Yeah, you know yeah. What, yeah. I
2: mean? what evidence do you have? Yeah, yeah. This? Exactly.
0: What makes you say that? Yeah. <laughs> <And> then you <laughs> go from there. But he didn't do any of that. He just went, wow. Yeah, that's incredible, and I instantly believe it. Even like
2: something like. That you probably shouldn't say you would accept more than just wow, that's incredible. You know, like even if they're like, I just really don't trust the Chinese. You'd be like, okay, well at least you got a reason there. Yeah,
0: like- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he literally went, no further questions. You're on it. Like yeah, yeah. straight away through yeah, the tolling, kind of
2: dry case there.
0: Is that why do you reckon that it's fallen so flat, G? Because it's been a, it's been a disaster. And the thing, the thing is, is a lot of people were quite mean-spirited about how badly it's done because there are some pantomime villains that are involved in that. Yeah, And I don't align myself with that sort of politics or anything like that. So I I don't particularly like the people that are associated Mm. with it. But I think that it is important that they should have a place where they can uh, talk about their own ideas and fuel their own shit. Even if I disagree with it, I think that it's kind of nice that you can have your own little thing over there and that's what you like, and that's for you, and that's fine. And a lot of people almost reveled in the in the demise of it and just how shit it did. But do you think it did shit because the standards on it were so low? Or do you think it did shit because... Um, there's just no appetite for that kind of thing? Or? I, think,
1: I think there's an appetite for... Well, there's definitely an appetite for right-wing journalism in this country because, like, 80% of our print journalism is well, right-wing. So yeah. the there's majority app- of it is that. There's an
0: appetite as well for right-wing comedians, right? Yeah. And so what? Ha- th- there are a couple of really good comics that are also right-wing. So Jeff Norcott uh, springs to mind, Leo Kirsch springs yeah. to mind, somebody like that. But what what happens now is because there are so few right-wing comics and so many right-wing people, what happens is comedians who are absolutely shit, what they do is they see an opportunity to reach a big market. And so they. it's almost like, I've, I've said this before, it's almost like, you know, in wrestling... Yeah. where occasionally somebody like, like a beloved wrestler turns heel, yeah. and it's like, oh, my God, Hulk Hogan's... Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God, what's he doing? You know, and all this shit. And he's pandering to the crowd look, and that. It's like that watching... It's no different with
1: journalism. So if you look at... Um, I've I friends who are you know, freelance journalists so they will go from newsroom to newsroom. If you look at uh, the mail, right? The mail after Brexit, after the, the day after Brexit, a lot of the newsroom was kind of in shock um, because it was like, oh, fuck. We didn't want this to happen. The point was, we're we're actually fairly liberal remain type people, but we're working for the mail. A lot of people just take their first job at the mail or they'll work from different newspapers here and there. So they think, well, this isn't going to happen. So we can do what we like and we can go to these, these lengths of the, the things that we're saying, some of the, the untruths that we're going to put out because we know when it's not going to happen. There's a massive appetite for us to, do, to be right-wing journalists, even if we're not right-wing ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to play into that. And I think there's a, so it's a similar kind of thing with journalism. I think it's that with, uh, with GB News in that um, there's an appetite there for a right-wing channel but unfortunately, what they needed to be was right-wing journalism and what instead was right-wing propagandaism, right-wing you know, ideology more than actual journalism, which is a surprise because Andrew Neil's a decent journalist. Yeah, you know, if you look at the stuff he's done on like Newsnight and excellent like,
0: at grilling, very very good. Uh, he's a good old griller. He's a George Foreman, that <laughs> <Yeah>. man. is.
1: <laughs> you see the interview he did with Ben Shapiro, where he actually, exactly as you're saying, instead of just saying "Wow, God, is it that bad?" he challenged Ben Shapiro on some of the things, and Ben Shapiro was left in saying, "Well, you know, if you're asking me a socialist, who's going to question me?" And so like, Andrew Neal was like, y- "You think I'm a socialist? Yeah. <laughs> have, have you done your homework? <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm the editor of the Spectator. I was going to say you. you clearly <laughs> not read my work." Yeah. So I think there is an appetite for it, but what there was an appetite for is right-wing journalism with journalistic standards of actually trying to challenge things. And there's yeah. not there, there's a real space there to be like, well, you know, some of the institutions in this country do lean towards the left. The BBC should be questioned from the outside to make sure there's not excesses. The NHS could have excesses in there that we need to be questioned to make sure there's not things that are that are kind of going wrong in, in that kind of system, rather than just like lauding it. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the NHS, but it yeah. needs to be held account just uh, accountable just as much as anything is. Yeah. But what we had was it, what we had would be. G- TV news wasn't right-wing journalism; it was right-wing sort of yeah ideology, right-wing propagandism.
0: Yeah, it it felt like uh, build it and they will come, and they or half built, build it, build yeah. some of it, and build well, it out
1: of plywood. Well, yeah. well,
0: I think it's build it and they will come, and they built it, and then everyone came, and they went. Now what? And they went. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone that, went. Well, we're just gonna. Haven't just they got gonna... like
2: a serving MP as like a regular? I'm not even there's, sure there's who's on it right There's a woman on Lauren, it It's Del Pietro. Yeah, she always seems to be next to Nigel Farage. And I'm mm. like, if you've got this much time as an MP, like, what the fuck are you doing with the <laughs> taxpayer's money? Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. You're sitting there working on a news channel. Like, the MP should not be presenting no,
1: no, news agree, channels. Yeah. Is that's,
0: that is that how we're going to go down now? Because, like I say we, we've, we've, met, we've touched on it a few times, then we've gotten sidetracked. The slippery slope that journalism is going down now, is there anything that can be done to stop the rot? Is there anything that can be done to change the tide?
1: Um, Well, if you... It depends where you think the slippery slope started, because arguably it started with Socrates. And he's been saying, you know, people have been saying journalism and, and reporting is a slippery slope forever. So you're saying poison, seems, people. I mean, yep. poison people? Absolutely poison people. That's absolutely the key. But like, we've always been saying standards are slipping. And to, to a degree, that's always true at the same time as other standards have been coming up. Um, I, I talked to uh, somebody who works at the um, Bureau of Investigative Journalism. Um, which is a, a, an independent body not affiliated... The B.I.G. Between, uh, the T.B.I.G. Ah, oh, bastard.
0: <laughs> the notorious B.I.G. So,
1: <laughs> just recheck all how you journalism there. <laughs> um, but what he was saying was, like, on the one hand, absolutely there are some standards that are slipping and things getting kind of worse, there's less money in there. But on the other hand, if you think about what investigative journalism involves... Go back 30 years, and you had to actually meet people. You had to actually sort of photocopy or copy documents. You had to actually go to a library to look stuff up. Now it's all done online. Somebody can get all of your details by having one thing and then spinning into the next thing you're using. And in half an hour, you can get the level of information on you with the, the, the hacker you were talking about. That would take you months, even years, to have done in the past. Um that you can do a freedom of information request and just by sending an email rather than having to write a letter to a body I'm, and wait for it to come
0: back. Um honestly absolutely incredibly amazed at how you have managed to construct a narrative art <laughs> yeah, from this absolute bullshit. Yeah, yeah. How well did you do that? going tie it all back. I'm going back, all back to what we were talking about at the beginning, <laughs> it was beautifully <laughs> spherical. I, I just looked at him in awe. This is incredible. What a callback. But, uh, doing, doing
1: investigations is much, much easier these days. Um, publishing is much, much easier. You're going to put this out online to a lot of people. What would that have taken 20, 30 years ago before the ability to just have cameras that are relatively small and microphones and the internet? Very true. Cost of publishing is much smaller. Cost of doing the journalism itself has Mm. come down. Maybe that's going to continue helping us. Um, So I think there's going to be some slippery slopes. I think there are some people trying to find ways. To stop that, to, to arrest that, to find other models, you know, the Guardian model of, of of subscriber, the Washington Post model of having Jeff Bezos put his hand in his pocket rather than just getting five billion dollars and burning in a big pile to <laughs> shoot him the, into the space um, in a big dick rocket. You know, there's going to be a, unfortunately there's going to be the flip side of that where we're seeing things like um, uh, lots of uh, outlets in America funded by the Koch brothers, right wing um, ideologue, right wing Christian fundamentalist ideologues who just want to kind of push a very libertarian view of the world through. Very skewed sort of fake news. We're seeing that with things like Turning Point UK, Turning Point USA. So we're going to see... What's
0: Turning Point?
1: um, It's a grassroots student movement funded by oil billionaires in America to try and push very conservative ideals under the guise of um, kind of being uh, counter- uh, of being kind of oh you know, we we're, we're just standing up for it a lot of the free speech stuff you see on campus is actually funded by turning point USA to try and we're gonna root out liberal I- ideology on campus, but it's really just a way of kind of pushing a very conservative agenda.
0: Oh, cheeky yeah. fuckers. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of a lot of that about. Okay. Um so we're gonna see that dark money coming in unfortunately just as much as we're gonna see kind of independent money. And and one of the things journalism will struggle will will have to find the way to avoid uh succumbing to is the money that funds you Tainting the stuff that you do, and the Washington you, Post needs to still be able to run exposes on Amazon, even if even as Jeff Bezos finances the entire. Totally,
0: operation. but let's—I mean, let's be real. If I was, let's—I mean, let's say for example, this podcast was being funded by a millionaire backer. Um, I would imagine that the one. Stipulation that they would have is don't slag me off. Yeah, yeah like yeah. like like he wouldn't. Like, I'm I'm presuming that this millionaire backer is a male. What what a ridiculously reductive yeah, uh, yeah. thing to do. Uh, but let's say it was. I mean,
1: if if he's a billionaire, it probably is males. Just statistically, by this point, the, yeah, the, yeah. the patriarchal society we live in. Probably.
0: Yeah, all the uh, female billionaires were only on seven hundred million. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Moves to the
0: side, sips his water, puts him back down. Uh, we're gonna leave it there. Uh, I think. Thank you ever so much for listening. Uh, if you have enjoyed. Enjoyed it um then please subscribe uh on whatever podcast you are listening to we are going to go ahead and have ourselves a break and then we're going to record pigoted extra which is a uh patreon only episode if you want to listen to that head over to the patreon patreon.com forward slash pigoted and you can join from just three pound a month and get loads of extra content pigoted extra early release access to discord servers loads and loads of stuff before we go is there anything that you want to plug phil chapman
2: not really that the, you didn't tell me to i've got nothing coming up. Still shows coming up like just just google me check out my twitter at i am phil chapman or uh, instagram i make loads of videos and stuff all the time uh facebook the phil chapman because i'm not better taking i am phil chapman <laughs> me um yeah, the password so get in touch with your mate there and get into to get me back yeah he'll get you (laughs) sorted is there
1: anything that you would like to plug Mosh yeah uh, if you've liked my take on journalism I'm the editor of uh, the Skeptic magazine at skeptic.org.uk so you can check that out of the the kind of things I think are important stories to put out into the world Um, so yeah check that out
0: and we will see you next week thank you for listening bye bye this episode of Pigoted is sponsored by Taylor's Toys. Taylor's Toys are a sex toy company. They specialize in doing high-quality sex toys that won't fall apart after one or two uses. Head over to taylorstoys.co.uk, check out the amazing range that they've got on offer, and if you use the discount code Pigoted at checkout, you get yourself 10% off on all products. Taylor's Toys, spice things up in the bedroom. Thank me later.